We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Doster here. I got Jeff Goodman with me. Hell no. John Fink. Are we still live? Bill 68 till I die. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out. Randolph Children. DJ Khaled, you know the big DJ Khaled guy? Hands grow up and in. Goodman needs to be fired all the time. Josh Tasker. You're going to beat people straight up. You know the deal. Drink responsibly tonight. I'll be drinking with you. Jarrell McNeil. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid majors. This is Field of 68. After that. Hello and welcome to another season of Field of 68 after dark we got new faces we got new graphics we got new names and we got a brand new season of college basketball that is just days away i'm john martin hosting this year back again for field of 68 tonight i'm joined by an esteemed panel of colleagues we have acc wake forest legend randolph childress with us tonight we have veteran college basketball coach and analyst matt mccall tonight we have rob doster Rob Doster is here, who, uh, whose claim to fame is comparing Cooper Flagg to Shavlik Randolph. So uh, somehow he has made it onto the panel. Uh, and before we get into what is the next show tonight, uh, we're going to be talking all things top 25 contenders, frauds, pretenders. I uh, want to throw it to you, Rob. This is season number three of Field of 68, After Dark and of Field of 68. Um, just how do you sort of reflect on what you've built and you continue to grow and add, and, and here we are better than ever. It, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of put into context uh, what we've grown this thing into. And it's not me. It's it's all of us. You know, it wouldn't – I wouldn't be doing this if uh, if Dagan Hughes, our producer, didn't buy in. I don't think we'd be here if guys like Randolph Childress and Matt McCall and Tyler Hansborough and Robbie Hummel and Jeff Goodman bought into this idea. So it's not a, it's not a me thing. It's a we thing. But – um, I am I'm excited about what we have in store this year. We've we've made some upgrades, obviously, in the graphics. I think that we have some news that we might be able to share uh, later on this week regarding where uh, we might be streaming this um, throughout the rest of the season. But uh, overall, I'm just fired up, man. Like college basketball season is back. This is what we live for. And I think more than anything else, Randolph, we're going to run it back for UConn going back to back here. We're going to we're going we're gonna to snap the record that Matt McCall helped build. Hey, you gonna start it off on the first night? And got me dealing with it with, with hot balls and everybody from UConn on the first night. Nah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's say that. Yeah, absolutely. Tonight we're on X. Tonight we are streaming on YouTube. And tonight the focus is, of course, the preseason top twenty-five. We're about a week away uh, from real games, and we'll get into the exhibitions, obviously, that we saw. We'll get into the secret scrimmages. Uh, who knows if these scores are even real. We'll get into all of that today on the show. But gentlemen, let's begin with the top 25 and the Almanac versus the AP uh, top 25. In terms of what we have uh, here at the Almanac, we have our own top 25, which uh, I think we can go through now. And look, uh, when you're dealing with, you know, uh, different minds from different places, you'll have different results. For example, to sort of go through this here, we have, Florida, 25, North Carolina, 24, USC, 23, St. Mary's, 22, Arkansas, 21. Uh, Randolph, let's start with you. North Carolina here at 24. The idea here is that uh, 
you know, they they got rid of maybe a, a bad partner and a bad marriage up there in Chapel Hill. Are you buying that this is going to be a different team now that Caleb Love is playing somewhere else? I think it'll be a different team, but I don't I don't think it's just because Caleb Love's gone. I mean, I think they're just going to be a deeper team. Uh, you know, whatever went on with them last year, they had this, this some issues, but we know that team is not void of talent. You know, you're still going to have the, you know, Mamondo Baycott is going to put up player to year numbers. R.J. Davis, we know he's the real deal. He's a legit guard. Let's see what the transfers do. I'm a big proponent of, I think if, and Matt, you know this, when you're dealing with guys that come in for one year, they tend to wait before they establish leadership. I think Cormac Ryan is a guy that if they just can follow, if he if he's willing to step up and be a leader to that team, then I think we got him ranked too low. Then I think they're a team that talent-wise, they're a top 10 talent-wise, and I think in the, in the country. Matt, are you there? Are you are you there with Randolph? We lost you, Matt. We can't hear you, Matt. I just know he's making the best points ever. Like, like, <laughs> like. Here, like let me let me jump in. I'll, I'll answer. I'll answer that question while Matt uh, figures out the uh, the microphone issue over there. Um, I, I'm 100 in agreement with with Randolph here, and I, I said this. Uh, I said this in the off season that I think the combination of getting rid of Caleb Love. And I, we can talk about this at, at length later, but I don't think like getting rid of is the right way to say it, that the, that's right. a divorce that needs to happen. Right. Um, but I think that allowing RJ Davis to kind of step into more of a leadership offensively role, right. Be able to embrace what Armando Baycott is inside, uh, lean into some of these trends. Like they added shooters, they added switchable pieces. They added guys that could play different positions. I think Jalen Withers is going to be, effective in a role of the four spot. I think Harrison Ingram is a guy, look, he was a McDonald's All-American, right? A five-star recruit. So I like what we built there or what uh, Hubert has built there. And look, I I think that they can finish second in the ACCs where I would have them. I, I don't know if that's a crazy take, but I think that they're like a top 12-ish kind of a team, Matt. No, Matt still got, got you. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. And they yeah. still got a yeah. pretty good freshman. I mean, let's not forget, you know, coming in with, you know, with Eli Cadeau, the freshman coming in, point guard, being able to slide him around and move him around. I, I just think talent-wise, again, I, I think they can easily be a top a top 15, top 10 team. Uh, I think with the pieces we talked about, I think more importantly, they'll be better defensively. I think that's the biggest jump that they need to take. And they, they're talking from the, – they're more connected – there was obviously some distractions. I thought the biggest thing we're talking about, getting the ball back in R.J. Davis' hands, they ran to the title game with him, lead, being the lead guard and not having to split time. So they get back to that. I think, again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, let's uh, let's work down the list here as we go through the next sort of five here of the top 25. Alabama, number 20. Baylor at 19. Villanova at 18. Texas A&M at 17. And San Diego State, of course, uh, off that championship game appearance there at 16th. Rob, I want to talk to you about Villanova. They were clearly a different team uh, after Justin Moore got back last season. There were obviously some really bumpy moments at the beginning for for Kyle Neptune, but they did certainly come on strong. Um, are they a team in your mind that will play to this level? Do you be, do you buy them more uh, as the second half of the season of what we saw? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I think that they are closer to being in that conversation for one of the top four teams in the I'm sorry in the top three of the Big East than they are from being a team that is in like the the middle to the bottom half of the conference I, I'm I'm very much in on them uh the veteran leadership I think being able to move Justin Moore into more of a a lead guard point guard facilitary role I think is going to help and then look at the pieces that they brought in right like Tyler Burton is a dude TJ Bamba is a dude. Akeem Hart is the perfect fit for what you want out of a ring. And I'll tell you guys this. I don't know if there is a player in college basketball that I love watching more than Eric Dixon. You're talking about a guy that is built like an offensive tackle. He's like 6'6", 275, right? I said this before. You guys are going to get sick of me saying it about before the season's over. But he has calves the size of footballs, right? This dude is massive. And last year they were running him off of pin downs. Like when they needed a bucket at the end of a game and they needed a three at the end of a game, they were running screens for him so we could catch and shoot threes. 
I've never seen that before. Matt, do we have you back? I think I'm back. I think yeah, I'm back. we got him. Let's go. Let's go. All right. First show of the season. Let's do this thing. We got a couple, team, couple technical difficulties. I don't know if that was my end. I, I don't know, but we're back. You know, we got to adjust. We turn, we turn the ball over. We get back on defense. That's all we can do. <laughs> Yeah, that is uh, that is exactly right. Okay, so you're going to get the first crack at these next five, Matt. We got Kentucky at 15th, Miami at 14, Arizona at 13, Texas at 12, Gonzaga at 11. Look, we're going to talk about Kentucky quite a bit on this show and all season long, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You bring in DJ Wagner, you bring a couple of returners back there, and Antonio Reeves, you add Trey Mitchell. Uh, some questions still, of course, remain about the eligibility of a couple of guys, but uh, on the surface – what do you make of this Kentucky roster? Well, I think Cal kind of got back to who he is, right? Taking McDonald's All-Americans, taking high-profile freshmen and trying to mold them into a team. Uh, you know, Trey Mitchell obviously being a veteran, Reeves being a veteran, but he's kind of gotten back to what he did when he's always had success in college as a head coach. It's taking really, really talented guys and building them into a team. I, you know, I think the biggest thing for them is, you know, what's everyone's role? How do they define that? You know, last year it was like, we got to dump the ball inside of Sheway. How are we doing that? Can they make perimeter shots? All those types of things. But I think from a chemistry standpoint, I think from a connectedness standpoint in the locker room, this is Cal's team again. And this is what's made him so successful in college is taking these high profile guys. Look, Trey Mitchell, I coached him at UMass for two years. He's a high-character guy. He's a locker room guy. So any of these high-profile players that are coming in, Trey's going to fit in with them. He is. And Reeves seems like the same way. So I think they've got the right team. I think they've got the right pieces around those guys. And I'm really anxious to see how it plays out. But Cal got back to doing what has made him so successful. And, you know, we'll see how it plays out. As talented as that yeah, as lineup is, my question to you guys is, who has the ball in his hand? Who's the point there's guard? Nine in this guys group? That think, there's nine guys that think they do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a it's a bad thing. I, I, I mean, I just I just wonder. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody's got to have a ball in their hand. Right. But I so think RC too. I do think this. I I think like when you have older veteran guys, I think sometimes that can create issues. I think these guys are so young; they're just going to do whatever Cal tells them to do, and that's been his best teams. Is when he's. I mean, you go back to that team with Anthony Davis and all those guys. I mean, you, you didn't really question it then. It was Kid Gilchrist. It was Anthony Davis. It was they were just young and listening to whatever Cal was yelling at on the sidelines. When you got Older veterans, you know, sometimes that kind of creeps in. I mean, you know, look at it from this standpoint. Last year they had eight upperclassmen, and I'm including walk-ons when you look at their roster. They had eight upperclassmen. This year they only have four, and really the only two that are getting on the floor are Trey Mitchell and Reeves. Mm. Mm. And, I, and I'm also <laughs> talking about DJ Wagner and Dillingham, It was my question, I guess, which of one course. of those guys you feel between those two is going to be your point guard. Matt, I want yeah. to ask you about Trey because you, you probably know him as, as well as um, just about anybody, especially on this panel, right? How do you how do you see him working in that offense, right? Like, I think in an ideal world, you probably have him as the foreman if Aaron Bradshaw and, and some of these other and, and Big Z, some of these other guys that are out are going to play. But if not, he might have to play a lot of small ball five. Like, how does he how does he fit in? as a big guy in a John Calipari offense, which let's be honest, doesn't really prioritize stretch bigs. Yeah. I mean, I, you got to think too. I, I mean, it was a while ago when I coached him and in the Atlantic 10, he just dominated the league for two years. I mean, I think he led the league in scoring. He was freshman of the year in the league. He was averaging nearly 20 points a game. And a lot of that was spent at the five. I mean, very rarely did we ever play him at the power four spot. Um, but at the five, when you can put him in a middle pick and pop situation and teams aren't switching, he can really, really shoot. And in the Atlantic 10, I mean, if you go back and even watch his freshman year, I mean, he went toe to toe with Obi Toppin when we played him at home. And, and you know, you could say that he outplayed him. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see. I think the biggest question is, is when he's playing at the four, 
how is he guarding pick and rolls? Right. So many teams want to switch, want to switch one through four. A lot of teams want to switch one through five. But when he's at the power forward spot, how is he guarding pick and rolls and how are they guarding pick and rolls? I think is the biggest question when you move him over there. Playing him on the perimeter offensively is not an issue. And he can really, really pass. I think that's the other thing about Trey that's really underrated ability to make, you know, decisions on the perimeter with his passing. You get passing bigs, it changes your offense. I think the bigger question mark is, you know, offensively at the four, what's the floor spacing look like? I think that was an issue for them last year at times was floor spacing around Shigway. So if he's having to play there, what does the floor spacing look like? And then on defense, if he's at the four, what are you doing pick and roll coverage wise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot to sort of see play out and figure out for that Kentucky team. No question about it. Let's roll through uh, the top 10 here for the Almanac. You got the FAU Owls there at 10 off their final four run. Tennessee at nine, UConn eight, Marquette at seven, Creighton at six. So heavy uh, Big East influence as we're getting into this. Rob, I do want to ask you, man, because look, UConn brings back some talent, uh, quite a bit of talent, but they do lose Jordan Hawkins, who – like when I think about the UConn run, I think about Jordan Hawkins like never missing, ever at any point. I mean, you can tell me he missed a shot in the tournament, but I don't, I don't actually believe that. So how can you replace that? Is this a team that's still equipped to overcome that production loss? Yeah, I think that they are. Um, it's going to look different, right? Like they're going to need Tristan Newton and Alex Caravan to really step up on the offensive end of the floor. I think that Donovan Kling, and assuming the big fellow's foot is all right, and I, I think that it mm -hmm. is, I think they're being more uh, precautionary than anything else. Um, he'll be able to make up for some of the deficiencies they have on the defensive end. There's two things to me that they're going to miss here. One, it's Andre Jackson. Like that dude did everything for them last year, and I don't think that you can yep. replace – passing the basketball like you the defense the athleticism just all the stuff that you cannot coach that he could do um and the other thing is i'm a little bit worried about them defensively like if you look at this group they don't really have a an elite athlete anywhere on the roster right like tristan newton is kind of like a little bit of uh he's like a bigger stronger guard not like a, a lightning quick guard right cam spencer good team defender not exactly known as an athlete. I don't know if he can dunk. Um, Steph Castle is probably the best athlete they have on the perimeter, and he ain't Andre Jackson. Alex Carabin, probably not the best athlete that you're going to imagine. And Donovan Klingon, he's great at playing at drop coverage, being big in space, but he's not someone that you're going to sit out there and be like, okay, look, that is a uh, one of the top five 1% athletes in the world. So I question what they are defensively. I think it's absolutely insane. And I told this to the guys at the Almanac before this even went to publish. How do you not have Marquette as the highest ranked team in the Big East? It's baffling to me. And I love Creighton, right? I think Creighton's going to be really, really good. Marquette brings back the Big East player of the year in Tyler Cole, like best point guard in college basketball. Eight of their nine, uh, eight of the nine players from their rotation last year are all back, including guys that are going to be pros like Osu Gadar. I think Cam Jones is going to have a big season. I don't know how that team is not the highest ranked team in the Big East. I think they're a top five team in college basketball. I don't know. I, I just I don't understand that. It's 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 weird to me. Someone talk some sense into me. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm, I don't have an argument. Yeah, I don't. I don't have an. I think the biggest thing for Marquette is just the defensive end of the floor. I think they've got to make improvements there. You know, gave up over seventy points per game. I think rebounding was a major issue. You look at their rebounding numbers. I think last year they were three hundred and eleventh in the country in defensive rebounds per game. So, you know, Shaka has died, you know, he's digested all that. He's dissected it. Um, he's looking at everything, the areas they need to improve because offensively with the backcourt, especially, they're going to be as good of an offensive team as anybody in the country. I think that defensive end of the floor is, is what they've been working on and working to try and improve in the rebounding. And, you know, that's all been their only focus this entire offseason. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't see how they're not the Big East favorite. Yeah, and then uh, real quick here, the five of the Almanac. And you'll notice there is a key difference at the top. Houston five, Michigan State, Spartans four, Purdue three, Kansas number two. And here's the, here's the disparity. Duke is number one at the Almanac. Kansas is number one, the AP. Randolph, do you agree with the Almanac's ranking of Duke at number one? 
Uh, I do. I, I think Duke has the ability to be so versatile on how they play this year. I mean, last year they played with that big lineup, you know, with Derek Lively at the five. They had Filipowski at the four, Mark Mitchell at the three. Uh, this year, I think they'll start the year with smaller guards. They'll start their four sophomores, and then I think they'll have Jared McCain kind of sliding in. But they can go with any one of those guys coming in. I mean, I think Caleb Foster's coming off the bench. Uh, they could go with T.J. Powell or Sean Stewart and go bigger. So, I, 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 you know, good luck trying to guard Filipowski as a, as a five-man. You know, I think they're going to be much better offensively. But they're having a second-ranked class in the country come off the bench. So I think they're just versatility on the defensive end. They want to go big. They want to go small. I think that'll be their, their strength. I think they're deeper in a lot of these teams that we have at the top. They're not the most experienced team, but I think as far as just talent overall, I think they're as talented as anyone in the country, if not the most talented team. One team uh, you will not have to worry about being part of the top 25 preview show is Louisville, who apparently, according to Jeff Goodman, I assume he's telling the truth here, just lost to Kentucky <laughs> Westland in an exhibition game. 71 to 68 so i thought we were going to wait till the end of the show to talk about what exhibitions and scrimmages and all that i thought we were, waiting, we're, we're diving into it now i thought we were waiting to the end you couldn't hold out with it couldn't hold out come on matter. it's fine all right <laughs> just scratch out the westland part just if you could just erase that word it's all good or maybe not for Louisville, maybe not. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some real championship contenders. We're going to maybe talk about some championship pretenders. Maybe the F in FAU stands for fluke. We'll get into all that when we get back. You are, of course, watching the Field of 68 after dark, back after this. Big news. The Almanac is officially back. The most exhaustive and comprehensive guide to the 2023-24 college basketball season is available for pre-order now. If you go to cbbalmanac.com, link is in the description below, you can pre-order for just $15.99 or 20% off the sticker price. The format is going to be a little bit different this season. Instead of an 850-page PDF, you'll be getting access to the full site with league-by-league league PDFs available for download. The preview will be live on September 20th, so you have until then to be able to get your pre-orders in. So for insight for all 362 Division One teams from their head coaches and the experts that cover them, make sure you hit that link. Are you a college basketball junkie? Are you the kind of fan that gets frustrated that this beautiful sport has such a lack of national coverage outside of the month of March? Well, let me tell you about the Field of 68, an all-encompassing digital network podcasts, live streams, and newsletters that cover the sport at every level on every platform. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid-majors, the only way to keep up with college basketball is through the field of 68. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After dark, we're talking all things top 25. This is the preview show before uh, the actual games that count uh, kick off next week. I'm John Martin, joined by Rob Doster, Randolph Childress, and Matt McCall. So we talked about 
Kentucky sort of in the abstract. We talked about them like, okay, how's it going to work? What's it going to look like? The question really is, uh, we'll, we'll start with Rob. Are they a legitimate championship contender? Is that what you think of when you look at this team and this roster? On the, the, the first day of the season, no. I don't think that we are going to watch them uh, in November and look at them and say that's a team that can win a national championship. I think that they are going to have uh, a steep learning curve. I think they're going to take some lumps early. I think that they are going to have a similar kind of season path as what we saw Duke do last season, right? But as they get some of these big guys back, whether it's Aaron Bradshaw hopefully getting back from the foot injury, uh, Uganda Onyeso coming back from, I believe he had a foot injury as well. Um, if they can get Big Z eligible to play this season, and as some of those freshmen kind of adjust to the college ranks, DJ Wagner, Robert Dillingham, Justin Edwards, who we didn't mention before, who I think is a guy that uh, has the potential to be a top five pick in this year's draft. If As those guys kind of figure out what it takes to contribute at the level they need to contribute to be able to win a national championship, I think this team has very real upside. Uh, if you remember last year with Duke, um, they did not look great in November. I specifically remember Jeff Goodman saying that they should not be ranked in the top 25 at one point, right? And then you look up in January and Tyrese Proctor's kind of figuring it out. And you look up in February and John Steyer kind of figured out, okay, Derek Lively needs to do this defensively. And Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor together formed one of the better backcourts in college basketball. Then you look in March and they head into the NCAA tournament. And I had them going to the Final Four. I think a lot of people had them making a deep run of the tournament. They were one of those tournament, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, darlings. And I think that's what we can see in an ideal world. I think that's what we see out of Kentucky this year. I think it's going to, it's not going to be pretty at the start of the season. I think they're going to figure things out in the SEC play and come March. I think there's a very real chance we could be looking at them as like one of the teams that can make a run to a title. I think it's also just as likely that they completely flame out. Like I, I think that they're the range of outcomes for this Kentucky team is mm. massive, but do they have enough talent to win a national championship? I think that they do. I think they're too yeah, talented right not to. Yeah, okay. I, I think they're too talented not to be there at the end. They, they'll get better. They got a nice mixture of experienced guys. We talked about what they'll do with Trey Mitchell, whether he'll start at, you know, I think like Matt said earlier, figuring out what you're going to do with him defensively at the four. I don't think he's a guy that you can switch, you know, one through four with him. And just I think you got to keep him guarding a four or five uh selective matchups but he can space the floor i think that's something that Topper didn't do a really you know didn't do a great job of last year i think he shoots it better they'll be better offensively it's just going to take time for these young guys to buy in defensively when you got backcourts we talked about they got youth a, a really young backcourt but those guys can play they're talented nobody's questioning their, their ability to play so they'll figure that out come january february this will be a completely different team they just got to live with the pressures of playing with kentucky they know what they signed up for I, I, I'd I buy I'd buy now with those guys. I think they'll be there. I don't know if they'll make it to finish. We'll see if health matters, if they, if they how, how complete will this roster be come, come March? We'll decide how, how their tournament chances are. Matt, real yeah, quick, I, I was going to ask, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, you know, that, um... Cal has done a, you know, the, the, the rules of college basketball obviously have, have changed quite a bit, and you've seen college basketball get older with the transfer portal. And Cal has sort of dipped into that a little bit here and there, but he's still sort of done what he's always done, which is recruit the best high school players he's going to be leaning on between Dillingham and DJ and, you know, some other young guys. Can he get the results in this college basketball doing that that his fan base expects? That's exactly the point that I was going to bring up, you know, because this is really, you know, Cal's back to how he was. Yeah, we're, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. That's, that, that, that's a good team right there. Connected, man. You're here to use that term, connectedness. That's right. Um, but I think, like, this is the first time since pre-COVID that Cal has gotten back to doing really what he does. He didn't – the only transfer he really took was Trey Mitchell – and had everything not gone down at West Virginia the way it did, you know, Trey would probably still be at West Virginia. He had a great year for them last year. He'd probably still be there. He was really the only transfer he took, and he took these talented freshmen. I'm more interested to see, because when Cal was doing this pre-transfer portal, he was really good at it. And it didn't matter on whether his teams were younger than everybody. They were more talented. And now everybody's gotten older 
And I agree with RC. You got to give these young guys time to develop. And this team is not going to look in March like it's going to look on November 6th. They're not. They're going to get battle tested. They're going to play some difficult and challenging games. I think come January, you know, that intimidation factor in Rupp Arena is there and that is real. And that's an extra six, seven points per game. And if those guys can develop, man, this is going to be special to watch. Yeah, we touched on uh, North Carolina there uh, at the beginning of the show and sort of their new life without Caleb Love. I think now's a good time to talk about Caleb Love's new life. Uh, at one point, uh, was headed to uh, Michigan, and now he has been rerouted. He is now going to be at Arizona. And it does sort of feel like, Randolph, he's got, you know, obviously a lot to prove, you know, because I think of of, of all, whether it's, you know, Hubert Davis or Armando Baycott or, you know, RJ, like all of all the people that sort of took the the bullet, so to speak, nobody took more of it than Caleb Love uh, for last season. So is there an opportunity there, you think, with him at Arizona to actually win and, and, and potentially take his team, you know, to right there in Arizona for the Final Four? I think he'll be All-American when the season ends. That's how I think wow. he'll respond. To. There it is. There it is. I do. I think he'll be an All-American. No one ever questioned his talent. I think you gave him ammunition. I think you put him in a system with the pace that they play at. You don't want him coming down. He'll be pitched ahead and him going because he, he gets going. He's streaky. Uh, we've seen him even shoot the ball, but I thought his sophomore year numbers from the three were a lot better. But no one questioned his ability. I think he'll be an All-American. End of the year. Arizona will be right there if they stay healthy. He's not the one that I worry about when I look at that team. I worry about maybe what are we going to get out of that point guard play? You know, how good is that that point guard play for Arizona is going to be? I, I I have full belief that Caleb Love will be an All-American and, and average probably 20 points a game, if not more. Here's the thing, yeah, too, I'm with not. them that I, I, I think is, you know, really important is it's a whole new team for Arizona. Right, Kayla Love transfer from UNC. Shaw Johnson transfer from San Diego State. Kylan Boswell only played 15 minutes per game last year. Dylan Anderson only played in 15 games. Jaden Bradley transfer from Alabama. Those are the guys that started in their exhibition game. And a game, by the way, and I know we're not putting too much stock into exhibitions and scrimmages. Caleb Love went for 23, seven assists and no turnovers. So it's new for him. It's refreshing. And like our season, this is not a talent thing. But he can go there, and the whole expectations of coming off playing in the national championship game, man, he's got a whole new situation. It's completely refreshing, and it's a whole new team, too. Like, he's not walking in that locker room, and there's already, like, an alpha male that's saying, hey, this is my team. We've got veterans here. We got No, it's a whole new team. So he can go out there and be who he is. Are you yeah, there the big thing is when you talk with people yeah. in Arizona about him, like t- what Tommy Lloyd told us at Pac-12 Media Day is that he has bought into being like the quintessential teammate. He's bought into being just a guy in that locker room. Like he he wanted that reset as much as North Carolina wanted that reset. And I think that if you can get Caleb Love bought in, like, look, he's always going to be a guy that kind of pushes the envelope with some of the shot selection. And I think he's also one of those guys, RC, you could probably speak to this too, that you don't want to limit that aggressiveness. Right. Like you got to tell him, OK, look, you missed three in a row. Maybe try to go get fouled. Maybe then pass the rock after that. But he's also someone that can literally take you from an eight seed to a national title game if he gets hot for three weeks. Right. That's what he can be when he's at his best. And as long as you're yeah. able to keep that confidence up for him, I, I look, I'm I'm in on Caleb Love. Everybody around that Arizona program is raving about him, like raving about him. So. I'm in. Let's see what happens. Sorry, RC, I cut you off. I, no, no, no. You're good. No, no, no. I, I think he gives them a closer, right? You go back to last year with Kirk Creese that you had, you know, Courtney Raymond. You, you were just wondering, like, hey, who am I going to give the ball to that's actually going to go get me a bucket and close games? He's done that, mm-hmm. and we know he's capable of doing that. So they got all this talent, and now you got a guy when you – and I think that's the most – one thing we can talk about all these teams. When I look at teams that we're talking about contending, and we're going to talk about that, my biggest question is they better have a closer because you better have a guy that you can give the ball to to say, look, play breakdown. I'm going to design this. You're going to elevate and shoot it, or you're going to create me a bucket. And we know he can do that. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say is that the best motivator is the bench. And you know what happens if Cato Love gets a little bit too aggressive? 
Colin Boswell and Jaden Bradley are going to be playing some minutes out there. Yeah, I'm rooting for that kid, though, man, just because, like, nobody was, you know, talking down on that kid when he was carrying Carolina to the championship game two years ago, right? So, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think it's ever – it's never just one person. It's never the fault of just one one guy, and it kind of feels like that's how this has been framed. So I'm I'm uh, I'm hopeful uh, and rooting for that kid, no question about it, this year at Arizona. Uh, one team that's really fascinating uh, that is that is in the top ten, um, but but who the analytics really don't agree with is Florida Atlantic. They're bringing back everything, bringing back their coach. They're bringing back pretty much everybody except their sixth man. Yet. The analytics simply just don't like them as much as uh, we do at the Almanac and the AP uh, voters. So let me ask you this, Matt. Is there is there why, why is there a, a gap between what the analytics are saying and what voters are saying? How did I know you're going to throw that one to me? OK, how, how did I know that <laughs> I, I was going to get the is it just proximity? <laughs> I mean, what is it? Is it yeah. what a doctor told you? I go down there to practice have the, all the time. Have I mean, the on like, tonight, my man, you got the hours. OK, all right. On. Yeah. All right. OK, I, I, I see. Um, look, I, I think the biggest challenge for FAU is just going to be handling the expectations. I think John L. Davis and Elijah Martin are two really, really good players that could play anywhere in the country. If those two guys would have jumped in the portal, they could have gone wherever they want. You could say the same thing about Vlad Golden at the five spot and Rosado. Those two guys both played about 20 minutes apiece up at the five spot. The, those four players and Boyd, man, those guys, if they would have gone on the portal, anybody in the country would have taken them. I think the biggest keys for FAU this year in terms of getting back to that level, the final four, I mean, that that, that is a hard thing to do. Right. you got to get a little bit lucky. You've got to be really, really good. And you've got to be talented. So to say that they're going to be in Phoenix, I, I think that's a hard thing to say right now. Um, they've got to stay healthy. You know, if you take Elijah Martin or John L. Davis off the floor, they're a completely different team. So I think that's one of the biggest keys is can they stay healthy? And they're going to get pushed. I mean, you look at their schedule. They're at Loyola Chicago to start the season. I guess it's a neutral site, site in Chicago, but they still got to go up there. Then they're in the ESPN Classic in Orlando with Butler, Penn State, and Texas A&M. They've got Illinois, St. Bonaventure, and Arizona and Vegas. And, oh, by the way, the Field of 68 Classic, they've got the College of Charleston and Liberty. I mean, their schedule, those guys are going to get pushed before league play happens. I have gone to a couple different practices. I mean, they are humming. I know in these scrimmages, Elijah Martin has not been out there. He, that, that, that is a RC talks about a guy you can put the ball in their hands at the end of a game to go get a basket and make a play. They got two of them. You can do it with John L. Davis. You can do it with Elijah Martin. I'll even throw Boyd in the mix as well, who's really kind of their leader. When you see their team and you see the huddles, Nick Boyd, man, he he is one of the more vocal guys on the team. So I don't think they're ranked too high. I think the expectations is going to be something that everybody's going to have to deal with within that program like they've never had before, ever. Like, I mean, ever. Even the years that they had a little bit of success, and one year when I was there, we won the, the regular season. We didn't go to the NCAA tournament. I know Sidney Green took them to the NCAA tournament way back in the day. But, man, that's going to be the biggest. How do they handle that? And if they do drop one or two here in their non-league schedule, how do they respond? Because, really, they didn't have to go through a ton of – I mean, they lost to Ole Miss, I think, the second game of the year. Um, and after that, what, they win 19, 20 in a row? I mean, there was there was not a lot of adversity that they had to go through as a team. So I think that's the biggest question mark, in my opinion. Yeah, they're not going 35 and three again. I, I And I don't think that's a, 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 a question about how good they are as a team, right? Like, I think they deserve to be in that, like, top 15 conversation, right? I don't know if I would necessarily have them, like, number eight in the country right now, but I think that they are very, very good and they're going to win a lot of games. But they're not winning 35 games again. And how do you how do you manage to keep the the level of play as high as you can after taking some of those losses? Like, I also think that the the question that that you said about the the program, Matt, is really interesting because if you look at some of these other mid majors that have made runs like this, whether it's a Wichita State, whether it's George Mason, whether it's VCU, whether it's Butler, like those are all programs that have a certain level of expectation of success, right? Like. FAU doesn't have that. Like that, FAU was is what like a 
a bottom five job in the conference USA before they left. Now was it in the American, right? It, it just, it's, it's completely different from, I think, anything that we've seen for some of the other mid-majors that have made runs like this. And I, I one, I'm going to be rooting for them uh, because they're in the field of 68 tip-off. But two, like, I think FAU running it back and Purdue making a Final Four, like the two storylines that I just want to happen. Those are the feel-good college basketball stories that I think everybody can kind of get behind, no matter who your uh, loyalties lie with, unless you're an Indiana fan, I guess, maybe. The, the biggest thing I say with these guys is I don't – if you didn't vote for these guys in your top 15, then you've lost your mind because if if most of the time they can't repeat because they all leave or either try to go pro or take advantage of their, their moment. Credit to Dusty May. I mean, it's a culture thing because any one of these guys can tell me they couldn't have jumped in a portal and got a, a crap ton of money. I mean, Vlad Gold could have jumped back. in the coaching carousel and gotten a shitload of money too. Like every no, no, single exactly. person could have him. Yes, credit to him. But these guys, these players off of off a Final Four run, you couldn't tell me Elijah Martin, Kenny, John L. Davis, or Vlad, or Vlad Golden couldn't go somewhere and be playing high major basketball. So to stay in that league, to stay with that coach, for them to run it back, they're going to be damn good. They won't win thirty five games, but they sure as hell going to win twenty eight or so games. Mm-hmm. They're going to be right there just as dangerous as they were with that guard play, the bigs inside. They're going to be a tough out in the tournament. RC, the and they're, they're going to get into this year with, without even being uh, uh, having to win their lead. They're in it. like mm-hmm. that, that's, Let's just chalk that up. So somebody else <laughs> might benefit from winning the conference tournament and still a bit because they're going to be there. How yeah. mad, how mad is John I don't, right I don't now that we're talking about the, the team that's going to I don't beat, think uh, I don't Memphis think that gets enough it. credit here RC2 is his staff man and those guys probably had opportunities to leave he kept every single assistant coach every mm-hmm. single director of basketball operations everybody stayed you know and his assistant yeah. coaches you go to practice man those guys talk about a connected group man those guys I mean it's it's just a super positive environment and you see it from Dusty all the way down through the managers in there. I mean, it, it is it, – it, you talk about a culture. That's a culture. Yeah, there's a lot of games that uh, obviously you look forward to in college basketball. But obviously for me, where I'm at, like those Memphis FAU games in this new league after that tournament game, which could have easily – like I just – I think about the butterfly effect with FAU a lot, man. Like if Memphis gets that timeout awarded, like how different everything is for everybody involved. And that's like the beauty to me – of the tournament, man, is that you live on a razor edge, right? Where you could be Dusty May and FAU and you get a jump ball instead of a timeout and you become one of the hottest programs in the country. Penny gets sort of uh, a sweet 16 opportunity kept from him. Matt Painter gets this reputation no matter what he does in the Big Ten regular season, he gets this reputation of he can never win at a high level. I love that about this sport. It's not fair, it's not just, but you know what I'm saying? That's the beauty of it. That's what makes it fun is that it always comes down to those six, man. And speaking of which, when you look at the top 25 of the Almanac, and I know I, I want to start positively because everybody except Louisville is zero and zero. Um, who in this top And they're still zero and zero see? too. Well, I mean, again, we're going to have to poll the fans. We're going to have to ask the fans if they're zero and zero. You know what I'm saying? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But, it, but, it, but is there a team that's, you know, not obvious, that's not in the top five that, Randolph, you think could make a Final Four run that maybe is the quintessential dark horse in this top 25? That's not in the top five? No, that's, yeah, outside of it, exactly. Oh, I, you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this. Outside the top five, if they get their point guard play to be solid, I'm going to take, I think Villanova is going to be a, a team come March that you just don't want to play. I, I I like the additions that they made to that team. I've always been a Justin Moore fan. I think he's a bucket. I think you get him off the ball a full year or so removed from his injury. Let him go back to being a bucket, getting guys like Tyler Burke. I mean, this, this, I know it's early, and I hate doing this early, but if I had to say it, just to answer the question, I'm going to say Villanova. I think they're a team that 
that is going to sneak in under the radar in the Big East because we're always talking about Creighton, Marquette. We're talking about all these teams, and then they're just going to be that team come the Big East. They wouldn't shock me if they won the Big East tournament, you know, no matter what seed they come in. Rob, what about for you? Who's that team for you? So we, we talked about North Carolina. I love the call of Villanova. I'm going to throw Baylor out there. If you look at the Baylor teams that for three straight years were at some one point ranked number one in the country, the reason they were is because they had great guard play. They were able to space the floor, and they were very, very good defensively. Last year, when they kind of fell off a little bit, they had great guard play. They were great offensively. They spaced the floor, and they couldn't guard the four of us and Jeff Goodman. Right. They were outside the top 100 defensively on Kempom. They had three little guards who were uh, what's a friendly way of saying defensive verse. Right. Like that. that's not why Keontae George, Adam Flagler, uh, LJ Cryer, they weren't out there to get stops. They were out there to get buckets. And I think you look at what they got now. Ray J. Dennis is a stud. He averaged 20 and six for a good Toledo team in a really good Mac. Amani Bates averaged uh, the same number he did offensively and look what he's doing in the league right now the mac is a good league ray j dennis tore it up he is a player um jaden nunn perfect defensive piece for what scott drew wants playing next to him can knock down threes six four junkyard dog defensively jacoby walter a guy i don't think anybody's talking nearly enough about six foot five long athletic tough can guard can make plays off the bounce you put them with Jalen Bridges, you give me everyday John at the five, who I think is going to be a floor spacer and back, even if he's not the same athlete. Give me Baylor, give me Scott Drew. I think they're going to have a very, very good year. And then, Matt, before we go to break, who who do you have your eye on that's, you know, not the Duke, not the Kansas of the world? I, I'm going to go Arkansas. And I'm not just going based off of what they did in the scrimmage or whatever you want to call it. Or I didn't know that one wasn't really a secret, but – I don't think there's any coach in the country that has embraced the transfer portal more than Muss has. I think Muss has been doing the transfer portal even back to his days at Nevada. You know, everyone questioned his move on taking the Mitchell twins coming out of Rhode Island. How would those guys be in the locker room? And he just has this ability, and I think it's probably because of his NBA days, to kind of take transfers mold a team together and get them out there and they find ways to win games in the tournament have they busted through to get to that final four no but can they he, he's the guy to be able to do it man there's nobody that's embraced the transfer portal i look at their team right now and and you know he took lawson from memphis you know everyone's probably questioned how's that gonna work how's that gonna go well, he's done it before and, and these guys that are question marks and he's turned them into really, really good players and impactful players on their team. So, you know, I'm, I am I just think if, you, if we're looking at teams outside of that top five, outside of that top ten right now, they're a team just because of Musk and how he's embraced this whole transfer portal thing. I think they're a team that can do it. And for my gambling friends, uh, you can get Arkansas at 8-1 to one to win the SEC. Uh, over at BetMGM, which I, I just – I think that's way – I think that's a misprice. I think Arkansas has got the talent. I think the SEC is far more open than that. Uh, and I think, to your point, Matt, Arkansas has the the dudes to, to possibly do it. All right, when we get back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Matt's going to tell us – he's going to try to explain to us why Louisville losing to Kentucky Westland tonight doesn't matter. I mean, it's – I got to tell you, it was a tough – it's tough timing tonight. Because I was with it for about two weeks, and then we get this result. It's tough. So uh, we'll do that when we get back. You're watching The Field of 68 After Dark on X on YouTube back after this. All right, it's time to talk about Vaulted. Vaulted is an app that allows you to participate in daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. It's the place to store your own bowl predictions forever. And by using the Vaulted Challenge feature, you can prove – you're smarter than your friends. So go download the Vaulted app. Give it a try for free. Vaulted is spelled V-L-T-E-D. And it is the app to challenge your friends, store your predictions, and join daily cash prize pools without any entry fee. Download Vaulted today. John, you were talking about this a little bit before the show started. You love Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas is winning the SEC this year. You think... Arkansas can win the SEC this year. I'm putting five units on him in. Why do you accept my challenge that Arkansas will not win the SEC? 
I say, let's make it 10. Let's make it 20. I mean, I, I think uh, this Arkansas team is supremely undervalued, man. Uh, I think they, we never really got a chance to see them uh, at full strength last year before Trayvon Brazil went down. And of course they were uh, young, but they go out in the transfer portal. They add Khalif Battle, who I think is going to be a really good player in the SEC. Uh, obviously Chandler Lawson in the transfer portal uh, and bringing back Trayvon Brazil for that sophomore season. I love this team. I think they're going to have the length, the athleticism. I think in terms of the rest of the SEC, well, we're going to go crazy on Tennessee because they finally have a player that can dunk. I mean, what are we doing here? I think there's a lot of teams in the SEC that I don't buy. Kentucky being one of them, too young. It's not the way you win in college basketball anymore. So I like Musselman. I think they're in a great position here with what they're bringing back and adding, getting older, getting better. Give me the Razorbacks, baby. Let's go. Whoopee! Challenge accepted. All right, we're back. Welcome back to the field of 68 after dark. And I mean, it's just, it was a perfect, it was a perfect, obviously I had to change it in my hoodie because uh, of how freezing cold Rob is going to end up being uh, with his opinion on Arkansas. So that sort of explains the wardrobe change. Uh, But we did sort of get into, uh, you know, the scrimmages. And we've seen a lot of these charity exhibition games, which I think as a fan are great. Uh, And then you get secret scrimmage tweets uh, that, you know, range from ridiculous to, you know, who knows if they're true. And Matt, you have sort of been on a, a campaign uh, all sort of offseason about secret scrimmages and exhibitions. We react to them. That's our natural uh, thing to do. We react to what we see. Uh, tell us why these shouldn't matter to fans. Well, I, first of all, I think they need to be separate. Okay. you have If you're doing a charity exhibition game, that's either being televised or you're allowing fans to come in. It's there to raise money for a certain cause. That is different from a secret scrimmage. Even though I did tune into Dayton's uh, charity exhibition uh, versus Ohio State, and you know Deron Holmes did spend a, a large portion of the, the second half on the bench, and maybe that was just Anthony trying to to save his legs or conserve them, or, or maybe he got who knows, who, whatever. But they're they're completely separate. Credit the coaches that are doing that. Because there's so many coaches out there that don't want to do it because maybe they'd be nervous. Where are we at? Is our team ready to do this? Are we ready to get out there and play and compete at this level? The secret scrimmages are completely different. And here's why. Mm. You don't know what the two head coaches are talking about and communicating. And they are talking and communicating leading up to the secret scrimmage. Do you want to play just a zone segment? Do we want to play 10 minutes at the end where we're playing our 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th man on the roster, and we're only playing those guys. Do we want to do yeah. special situations? Do we want to do, you know, two eight-minute quarters? Do we want do we want to play a full game? A lot of times we're just getting the score as the media at the end, and then we immediately put it out there, and then everybody's gonna overreact. That that that's what the secret scrimmage is. These coaches may be talking about certain things that we need to work on. I may call RC if he's at Wake Forest and say, hey RC. We're really struggling zone offense right now. Do you think you guys can play, you know, a good section of this scrimmage zone? Hey, would you guys press us because our press offense isn't where it needs to be? Hey, what are you guys doing? on? Under- and here's the other thing. A lot of times none of these teams are scouting. The amount of time that assistant coaches and head coaches put into scouting and preparing for a game, sometimes coaches don't want to scout in the scrimmage because they may never see the Carolina break throughout their course of the year. They may look at their schedules like, we're never going to see this. Why are we going to spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes in practice preparing for something that we're never going to see all year? So you've got to take all those things into consideration. And then the other thing is, and me and RC were talking about this off the air, coaches are like experimenting with different lineups. Hey, I got to see these two guards out there together because all they're doing in practice is competing against each other. And we got to see if, if X, Y, Z, can they function out on the floor together? Because we haven't seen them out there. And then, okay, now you're looking at it as like, all right, now we got some, we got some ammo. We got some, we got some thing. We got, I used to always call it, you know, hey, we got ammo now in terms of where do we got to get better? This is why you're not going to play 20 minutes in a game. Look at what you did in here. You're not right. But the, to, I think we all overreact to the scores of the secret scrimmages because we have no idea. That 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 was that agreement was made between the two head coaches, 
And that's really all it's supposed to be. And whoever's screenshot, whoever's taking the box score and taking a picture of it and leaking it to the media, man, that guy needs to be off those stats, man. They can't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, this this is sort of a separate uh, discussion, uh, RC. But uh, there was a public uh, exhibition that was that maybe Kenny Payne wishes was secret and that nobody saw uh, in Kentucky West Saints. I know we didn't see the game. We don't. So it's it's hard to to know exactly but i just mean in terms of fan base you had such a brutal year last year and you start 2023 i know this is going to say zero and zero but it's not zero and zero to your fan base so how do you sort of respond you know to to this result um louisville losing to kentucky westland in this exhibition you don't <laughs> i mean you it's just like you said it doesn't, you got to tell you, it doesn't, you don't count. Yeah, I'm laughing because you're picking on them, but I don't think you worry about it. They won't be the only team. There's been some teams that we've known have played in these and, and the scores have just been so lopsided. Um, but we know they're good teams. And I'm not saying Louisville will be an elite team or a good team, but I do understand what you're saying. That's a team coming off four wins a year ago. You need to try to get some momentum. Mm -hmm. They need a they need to come out the gate strong, though. That that that's that's a fact. They need to come out this the start of their season, and you can't lose the Bellman to start the year in those kind of games. You gotta you gotta come out and be prepared to play, and and it's tough. It's tough to sell to your fan base when you lose into a D, a D two conference. Uh, Wait, look know, at that graphic, team. man! Look at that. Just read it. <laughs> Just read the graphic. Wesley, let me say this to like RC. How many teams Ooh. were you a part of? that you may have scrimmaged somebody, whether a player or an assistant coach, I'm sure when you were playing, it was always the exhibition games, but whether a player or an assistant coach where you scrimmaged somebody and you may not have played very well, maybe you lost and then all of a sudden you went on to have a really good year or man, you may have got your teeth kicked in. I mean, one year when I was at Chattanooga, we must've lost to Auburn by a hundred in a scrimmage. And the first game of the season, we go on the road and beat Tennessee. Like you just can't, you can't put so much stock. I mean, we still have another whole week of practice. I mean, you can attest to that, right, RC? Like, I'm sure you were part of scrimmages where you played really well, and maybe you guys didn't have a good season. Other years, you probably got, you know, kicked in the teeth somewhat, and then you had a good year. You just, it's just, you can't, you can't put stock into it. It's the one game you play when you try to play everybody, fair or not. When it when it matters, then you'll start cutting into your rotation and whatnot. But when you go into an exhibition game, if you don't play someone in an exhibition game, they might be in a portal the next day if they're healthy. So I would imagine <laughs> you're trying to play everybody. You know, everybody gets rotation playing in that. I don't think you take it that serious. I mean, you, you want you get you want a certain look. Your starters will play. Your main guys will play maybe 20 minutes or so. So you would love to get those late game situations and whatnot, but you want to do that with guys. You, you need your main guys healthy. So I, I wouldn't put too much. We're laughing about it, but I wouldn't put too much stock into it. I, I got a rant though about these ex exhibitions. Like I, I love that, that Kansas is playing Illinois for, to raise money for funds for the, uh, the, the fires that hit Maui um, back, back in August. I, I love that they, Purdue is playing Arkansas to raise money for charity exhibitions. And, and I love that Tennessee is playing at Michigan State and they're putting on a Big Ten network. But why are these exhibition games? Why can't these games be games that actually count? Why are we playing these unbelievable matchups? We have top three yeah. in the country, Purdue, going into Bud Walton Arena with all 15,000 fans. Ooh, Big Suey, going nuts. Overtime game. Great game. Doesn't matter. Doesn't count. Why are we paying attention to it? We got Tennessee at Michigan State, a top 10 matchup. Game doesn't count. Game doesn't matter. We got Bill Self going back to Champaign. Number one team in the country loses on the road to Illinois. Game doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Those are some of the best matchups that we're going to get all season long. They're on campus. They're in home courts. They have great environments. Why are we playing them when they don't count? Why can't we play those games at the start of the college basketball season when we are looking for reasons to be able to have this sport cut through all of the noise of football, cut through all the noise of the NBA starting, cut through all the noise of the World Series, right? We need games like this in college basketball, and we're playing them, and they don't matter. 
But instead, what we got is a week of basketball where there's not going to be a ranked matchup until a game is buried on a Friday. We have eight days of college basketball games before we have the Champions Classic, which is supposed to be the season kickoff. Like, college basketball is the only sport where you have a soft open, right? It's the dumbest thing in the entire world. I understand coaches want to ease into a season, right? You want to play some of these games, figure out who you are. College basketball is the only sport where the regular season, we say, yeah, the start of the season, we don't want it to be too tough. Do we have NBA teams playing G League teams in the first week of the season to be able to make sure that they can ease into it? Do we have uh, Major League Baseball teams playing their AA affiliates to be able to ease into the season so the games don't count, the first of 162? No, we don't. Does every NFL team play the Giants their first week? No. They don't. You, it's a regular season. The games count. Play games that people want to see. I, I know you got to play buy games. I know you got to put pizza, uh, butts in seats. I know you got to make a certain number of season tickets, whatever. Those exhibitions, you can still raise money for all these causes and have the game count. Drives no. Me all right. No. This is me stepping off no. my soapbox. No. No. Done. No. First of all, it's only you and Tom Izzo really believe that. Tom Izzo is the one coach that won all the smoke. <laughs> there is no coach in America that wants to open up and play a top 10 team or whatever coming out the gate. They, they're not doing that. Nobody wants to do that. You got so many You got so many young guys you want to get going. We just talked about like Kentucky's roster or some of these other teams. No coach wants to come out the, you know, out the gate. Now, if you're loaded, yeah, you want right. to do that. Like, let's yep. be clear. If you're loaded and up, like if I'm if I'm Duke, if I'm Purdue, yeah, I want to do that this year. But most of these teams, everybody's trying to figure it out. Nobody wants to play that. I, you do that. You find that in conference, in conference and MTE. You figure all that out. The rest of them games, I'm 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 paying to get some wins. Give me some games to get some confidence in my guys. I, 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 there's nobody. Nobody's doing it. Nobody wants to well, do here's, it. Here's, here's, here's how they here's how they would do it. Here's how they would do it. Let everybody play more than two exhibitions. Let everybody play an uh, exhibition or a secret or whatever it may be. Play five of them. Play say, whatever. Mm-hmm. Play play. You know, like the the NBA preseason games. Let them have preseason games, games that don't count, so you can get a feel for your rotations, your subbing. How are we doing this? Where do we need to get better? Play one every. Let teams play them every single week. You get 30 practices 42 days before your first game, let them play more preseason games. Have a preseason. Then when it counts, maybe on the first night of college basketball, we won't be scrolling through the top 25, and the best game that we have, which I do think is going to be a good game, is Baylor versus Auburn. Let them have a preseason. Let them have preseason games. Hey, Rob, won't we just do a field of 68 tournament, MTE to start the year? We invite all these teams, and we the winner gets NIL money or something. We can do something like that. That's about the only <laughs> way. That's the only way you get all these teams yeah. to come. You, the, hey, you know how uh, I am so in on that, RC. I am so in on that. Let's put a thing in that. We're going to make that happen. We're going to make that happen. Hey, if the NBA can do an in-season tournament, I mean, there's no reason we can't do an NIL tournament in college basketball. You know what I'm saying? Like, we let's get with the times. Let's change the legislation. Uh, but the good news for this group especially is that the games in about a week are about to start counting. And I know that's going to be good news uh, for everybody, not just on this panel, but in all of college basketball. It was a blast breaking down all things top 25 here on the field of 68 uh, after dark. And, uh, and again, there it is. It, it's all good, though. Kenny Payne's about to get an extension. Matt McCall, if he was the AD, lifetime. You and Randolph going to give him 15 extra years for this. It was a close one. It was a close, a hard-fought game. But, uh, no, it was a uh, it was a blast tonight. And the first show, I believe, is uh, next week of the official regular season. So we'll be back with you uh, on Monday. For RC, for Matt, for Rob Doster, I'm John Martin. Thanks for tuning in to the Field of 68 after dark. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.